Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crack and One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crack and One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're nerds who love science fiction and fantasy stories. So obviously, we love Star Wars. And if there's one thing that the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's us nerds talking about Star Wars. So each episode, we journey to a galaxy far, far away to discuss what's new in the Star Wars canon and beyond. This is yet another Star Wars podcast. <laughs> this week we're headed to Cyril's mom's apartment for some very delicious looking crunch berries and mm-hmm. to discuss the fifth episode of Andor titled The Axe Forgets. I don't know about you guys, but when I saw that title, I was like, yes, I am so ready for this episode. <laughs> Woo. And so what a this, great way to start it off just with a title. Oh, the title is amazing. I love when an episode has a great title. So this episode was written by Dan Gilroy and directed again by Susanna White. Be warned, there will be spoilers for this episode and all things Star Wars. Are you all ready to ask Uncle Harlow for a favor? Yes, but first I'm probably going to have to ask Cyril's mom for a favor because where did she get her interior design? That breakfast nook is amazing. I mean, it's really not about what you know. It is all about who you know. So if Uncle Harlow can help me out, I'm here for it. Totally. Completely. I'm here for it. Okay. Let's punch it with the episode recap. Okay. So we start off on Coruscant with those crunch berries and with Mm -hmm. Cyril. He's being counseled by his mother. Mm, Everyone loves that. Counseled is a very generous term there, Colleen. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) one way of describing it. (laughs) Being lectured. Being lectured severely by your mother about the challenges of leadership i mean sit up straight for god's sake since her son lacks job prospects obviously edie tells cyril that she will contact uncle big pause on uncle harlow to call in the family favor for him what are the chances that harlow is actually a hut oh yeah (laughs) completely this is not a blood relation (laughs) at all this is some sort of weird mafia thing going on which we will space godfather yeah exactly cyril is skeptical about uncle harlow but edie reassures him that he knows what's best then we shoot over to eldani cassian wakes to find his weapons missing like all of his shit is just gone outside he finds skeen who is very attractive (laughs) looking through (laughs) his things supposedly under orders from bell very suspicious i don't think she would have told him to do this he asks about one of the weapons being like so what's this and cassian is like nah i'm not willing to share about this or about anything really cassian recognizes the tattoos on skin's very bare torso and arm he i mean he's looking great everybody let's just shout out <laughs> yvonne yvonne is looking really good and skiing so your eyes went right to it well yeah oh, your yeah. chest is just out man it's just out there and it's glistening like of course we're gonna look at it and skiing <laughs> tries to get more information out of cassian by being like yo tattoos you know what these are like let's try and see what we know about each other 
Cassian apparently spent three years in a youth center, which is probably a nice way of saying juvie. Yeah, I think so. Like, and Skeen yeah. knows to watch for like his reaction on his face to be like, oh, you know what this is. And Cassian's like, ah, fuck, yes, I do. Cassian guesses that Skeen is only on the mission for revenge. Very fair assessment. And says he was sent to help. But he also admits that he's not much of a team player, which probably not the best when you're in a team situation. <laughs> oh my God. Skeen too, probably not the best of team players. So Skeen talks about his fellow team members, which I think is really good. We needed this kind of character building situation to happen. Nemec is the young boy, very inexperienced, but he's a true believer. And then Cinta, who is like that really hot girl, is the stone cold, fearless bitch, basically. Like, hell yes, love her. He also mentions that Vel is taken. So don't go sniffing around her blankets. Mm -mm. She's already got She and Cinta share a blanket. Yeah, they do. Yes, they do. (laughs) Which we love to see. Cassian asks if Lieutenant Gorn is leading them into a trap, which fair he is an imperial officer Skeen flips the question back at Cassian but Cassian insists that he's there to win and walk away from this mission alive so this was like a very like interrogation kind of scene which I really liked I think both of the actors hit this one out of the park I love I love scenes like that where it's literally just two people talking but there's all the subtext there's everything that they're Mm -hmm. not saying is just like blaring on the screen and you love it loaded we wouldn't have gotten we wouldn't have gotten a scene like that where they trust the audience to just understand what's happening in some of these other star wars shows right and i really appreciate it yeah all right so we go back to coruscant mom mothma's trying to have breakfast with her husband and her daughter lita now mom is like all right we're getting ready to go i was gonna take you to classes today and lita's like you know what? No, I, not only do I not have class today, but even if I did, dad said he'd take me. So you're off the hook. Mm-hmm. This is a very tense conversation. <laughs> it's mm. insane where you can just tell that Lita does not like her mother. No. Pretty much at all. No. And it, it straight up accuses her of using their mother-daughter relationship for her political agenda. Like the only reason you wanted to take me to class was so that you could show off that you're a good mom. Harsh. And really harsh. Really harsh. We'll talk about this a little bit later. Mon just like kind of storms out. She's mm-hmm. done after this. She doesn't know what to say. No, she doesn't have anything to, to fire back with, no. which is and for a weird. character like that who is used to having the sharpest comebacks, can fight the most fraught battles in the political arena. Mm-hmm. The breakfast table is just a little bit beyond her against her preteen slash teen daughter no yeah <laughs> nope not at all that's, that's a tough fight so we go back to Aldani. Nemec gives cassian some dray milk for breakfast which is apparently nasty as hell my guess is because it's actually white like if you want good milk in this galaxy it has to be blue or green he shows cassian this navigation tool that he built stressing that they need to lessen their dependence on imperial technology going for the older stuff the more reliable stuff Mm-hmm. Skeen thinks Nembic is like obsessed just with ideas and philosophical concepts but Nemex talks he gives us this great little monologue about the imperial thought machine that is concealing mm-hmm. atrocities 
And he's writing a manifesto, which if anyone ever tells you they are writing a manifesto, that's kind of a red flag. Yes, (laughs) it is. But we love nine out of 10 (laughs) times. I would say yes. Red flag in this moment, though. Green. I do kind of want to read his. I do want to read it. Absolutely. Like, yeah, green. But he's talking about things like if there are, you know, 50 atrocities going on all over the place, you can they can hide behind that. And he's smart. He knows what he's talking about. Um, but if you look at the individual level, then you can really dig into the ideas behind everything. Mm-hmm. He asks Cassian what he thinks, but Cassian just kind of walks away from it all. He's not dealing with this right now. Mm-mm. So Vel and Barcona are asking Cassian about how much weight their escape ship can carry. He figures out that despite their you know, many months of planning all this, the rebels mm-hmm. have absolutely no idea how to fire up this escape vehicle. And if mm-hmm. he hadn't come along, they'd be fucked. Yeah, they really yes. would be. They really would have been. alarmed. He is very alarmed. And Cassian is like, no, if I'm risking my neck, if we're doing this, I'm piloting the ship. That's, that's yeah, not a when he snaps at them, that mm-hmm. line delivery was on point. It was so good. Yeah. Also, one of the only points in the episode, though, that I was like, kind of, I kind of raised an eyebrow and I was just like, you're telling me that an Imperial shipyard doesn't just auto calculate your weight? Really? See, <laughs> maybe they don't have very much funding. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe at a place like Aldani. They don't have. Eh. Aldani gets like the shit parts. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised that like they don't really have the nicest tech out in like the boonies like this. Hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, on Ferrix, ISB agent Blevin is watching as workers clear damage caused by the fighting during that Ferrix incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Captain Tigo is clearing out guests and furniture from a hotel. <laughs> Boo. Yes. Boo this guy. guy. Boo this man. <laughs> I real. thought I didn't Excuse like me, Karn. That prefects. <laughs> right. Prefects. Prefect. Ugh. I thought I didn't like Karn, but then we met this guy and I'm just like, oh, God. So uh, Blevin is talking to him and saying that this is going to be the new ISB headquarters in the area. Mm-hmm. Tigo asks if he can be made a prefect. I know it doesn't come with a pay raise. Mm-hmm. I just want to feel like a fancy boy. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. Just worthless. So for Tigo's groveling, Blevin tells him that he can wear a ball gown for all he wants yeah. uh, and just get to his headquarters up and running by tomorrow. Empire, mm-hmm. you know, they move fast. They've got a they've got an agenda going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an interesting scene because I'm glad that we're going to be going back to Ferrix. Yeah, I think we're probably going to be seeing it through the eyes of maybe a, another ISB officer. I uh, hope so. <laughs> Terramin is drilling Cassian with the other rebels on proper marching formation because their plan <laughs> is for Gorn to let them into the base disguised as uh, Imperials. Mm-hmm. Cassian points out that, that since Skeen is left-handed, he should switch positions, something that the military would definitely consider. Mm-hmm. So good eyes from him. And he's yeah, also that scene. yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, that he was points like out the, everyone's uh, dominant hand, too, which was yes. pretty cool. That he was knows. the uh, Cassian, Cassian pays attention. That was mm-hmm. the Jason Bourne, like, in the diner. Like, I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and, like, favors mm-hmm. her left leg. And this is mm-hmm. going on. And this lady's sitting over here. But I can't tell you many. It was so cool to just see him pick up on all those details. Yes. And for us and to he, get a chance to see it. And he was kind of reluctant to say it, too, which was really fun to see Diego Luna kind of play with this. Like, well, I know, but I don't know if I want to tell you that I know. 
Right. Like how much of my skill set should I reveal to you guys right now? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, he is also showing how like worthwhile he is to this group. Yes. Uh, So while they're drilling, though, Mm -hmm. a TIE fighter buzzes over the camp and oh my gosh, it was terrifying. It was scary. I'm used to TIE (laughs) fighters being kind of, you know, they're background things. You see them in in starship fights, but there's tons of them. There's X-Wings, all this stuff Mm -hmm. going on. They make TIE fighters terrifying in this. The sound. Uh, Just roaring over them like that. It Mm -hmm. was wild. So afterwards, Nimic assures uh, Cassian that, hey, a surprise from above, not nearly shocking as a surprise from below. What a great, I just, I love Nimic. Watch out for the moles. Watch out for the moles. Watch out for the moles, but like Nemec, you're dropping all these great lines. You're so dead. Which means, yeah, he's going to die. <laughs> yeah. Like oh. everyone probably except Cassian and Skeen are going to die. Like let's face facts. Here. But Nemec is like especially dead. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to uh, go against maybe? the grain and predict that Nemec is going to survive just so everyone, that in the unlikely, just, just so that in the unlikely event that it happens, I can rub it in y'all's faces. Oh, I mean, this is lives, just my Star Wars happy. feeling. <laughs> I'll be happy. I just don't believe it. I'll be very happy. (laughs) Oh, so meanwhile, Gorn is at the base talking with a soldier who's slacking off. Mm -hmm. And the soldier asks whether it's true that the landscape is going to be leveled by the Empire, which Gorn confirms. And what the hell? I mean, I'm glad he's on the same page because you can tell from Gorn's face he is not okay with him. And he's also not okay. This guy's talking about how Oh, you can smell the Donnies from yeah. so far away, and you yeah. can see the disgust on Gorn's face. And Gorn's so, like, yeah, sorry, you everyone, can you can't the, see yeah. me, but I'm flipping off the camera. <laughs> yeah, with both hands. You can see that he doesn't quite gel with some of these views of these yeah. Imperials. No, Gorn is done. He is very done with this entire situation, but yet he's still reliably pulling off his character. Like the other Imperial yeah. soldiers are afraid of him. Like yeah. they, they are. You can tell. They'll talk to him, but they're also still like, we don't want to piss him off. Okay, so we're back on Coruscant. Dedra walks past Blevin, this fucking guy, and several aides discussing plans for an upcoming conference. And she's like very visibly miffed, like whatever, fuck you guys. She and her assistant are checking for more missing Imperial machinery. Good call. Unfortunately for our heroes, Hurt, who is Hurt, wow, great name for her assistant, (laughs) says the Imperial Navy ledgers are the only thing left to consult, but that they never admit any mistakes. (laughs) I love this so much. This is such a great detail. Like, I kind of was wondering, like, is this a Thrawn clue? Because Thrawn's main guy, Eli Vanto, if he was in charge of the inventory, he would definitely mention if something was missing. So if there's like a Navy manifest where something's missing, it's probably coming from Thrawn and Leaf and Eli. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. But then we get Dedra being like human. Shocking. We get an ISB agent being human. She admits that she doesn't know what she's doing. Like she, she's, she just doesn't feel it. She's like, I have a feeling, but also fuck, I'm young. I don't know what I'm doing. But her assistant reassures her that she is onto something. They deduce that the rebels are spreading out deaths in an attempt to make their attacks appear random. It's too random. It's too random to be too random. random. Yeah, it's too random. It looks too perfect. 
and isolated and mm, this is not a good thing for the rebels. We go back to Aldani. Cassian and the team are heading out. He asks why they're relying on an Imperial lieutenant. Like, he keeps stressing this point. Like, why are we trusting this good guy? question. He wants a reason. Kind of like how Skeen wants a reason that Cassian yeah. is there. And Vel finally explains that Gorn fell in love with a local Donnie woman. And he lost his promotion because of this. But then he also lost this woman. Which caused him to lose his taste for the Empire. Mm. She adds that everyone has their own personal rebellion. And it's interesting because a lot of it has to do with family connections and love. We don't really know for Nemec, he has his manifesto, but pretty much everyone in this episode has something to do with a lost relationship. And Mm -hmm. that is why they are fighting against the empire, which is another great Harry Potter callback. Love will always win any sort of love, familial love, romantic love, friendship love. I mean, if you're fighting against love, you're going to fucking lose. <laughs> and it also just comes down to, I mean, everything that this is, everything that's happening, we can talk about the the bigger ideas of freedom, and mm-hmm. but it really just comes down to your own personal yes. quest, your own personal reason for doing things. I mean, even the rise of the empire itself is ultimately down to one personal greed and person. one man's yep. personal quest for power. Yep. And that's why I really like where they're going with this show. They're willing to put it out there and say, you know what, this could be about a manifesto and that's a great thing to have. But when it comes down to it, the people who are involved in each side are there for very personal reasons. Yeah, It's never not personal, which is sometimes difficult to deal with. But I mean, even Cyril Kern is going to be involved in the plot as we shall see for very personal <laughs> reasons going forward. Okay, seriously though, we're cutting back to another location. It felt like in this episode, we were going back and forth a whole lot, but we're back on Coruscant with Cyril and his mom. And she says that Uncle Harlow is trying to find a suitable position for him, but he really needs to think about it. He needs to talk to his action figures about it because he definitely (laughs) has a lot of action figures in his room and I was fucking loving it. Yes, he totally has a clone trooper action figure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can see it. (laughs) Which means he is also a true believer, which is kind of scary when it's on the wrong side. (laughs) All right, so we're back again at the Aldani base. Lieutenant Gorn confronts two subordinates about an unpainted wall, stressing that they're expecting a visit by a Coruscant engineer, so everything needs to be perfect. Mm -hmm. They got to get this done. And they're like, look, Lieutenant, can we be real for a second? Like, everybody here is kind of demoralized. This is not the best post. But the one thing everyone does say about Aldani is this big celestial event. They want to see it. <laughs> we, if we have to paint this thing by the time he gets here, we're not going to see it. Can you yeah. please give us the chance? And he relents and tells them, all right, as long as it's done by the following afternoon, like, it'll be fine. Meaning that he has manipulated them into leaving the base clear during the time that the rebels will attack. Mm-hmm. What a smart way of doing it because he makes them feel like it's their, like they influenced yeah. him into doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He told them that. Brilliant. The rebels are resting and mm-hmm. Skeen ambushes Cassian, puts a knife to his throat, and discovers the Kyber necklace, accusing him of hiding his past. Mel's trying to calm things down, and Cassian admits, Look, guys, I'm here for the money. I was told I would be paid to come here and help you. 
So that's why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And everyone's just kind of like, Ooh, you're not here for the cause. And he's like, no, I'm not. But Zell says, look guys, it had to be this way or we weren't going to do this at all. Cassian admits to schemes. Like, don't get me wrong, dude. I'm, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Like this plan could go horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. And I'm absolutely terrified, but there's a difference between that and chickening out. So if they bail, he's not going to be their excuse to do that. Oh, yeah. He's there. So they're going to do this. Oh man. That whole speech about how the Ooh. day before is always hard. Like that was so well done. Oh, that was mm-hmm. so well done. Mm-hmm. The tension, so, every single yeah. scene in this show, this episode was tension. They just, they know how to like manipulate a scene to make you just, it feels like, tense like it's a shootout and yet not a single like blaster was fired. Mm-hmm. So back on Coruscant though, Mon Mothma and Perrin are heading home following their meeting with uh, Gar to feed. Perrin says to feed knows more about what Mon is up to than him, which, oh, embarrassing, isn't it? Which, what a burn from Mon Mothma. So <laughs> Perrin then asks, Hey, uh, what are you going to tell me about this new charitable foundation? How dare uh, you be charitable? <laughs> and she goes, well, I didn't think you'd be interested in the foundation. Why not? Why, it's charitable. Like, she was just ripping him to shreds. Yeah. If you guys, you guys who are listening to this as a podcast did not see, Dan was actually doing Mon Mothma's, like, was taking going her earrings off while she was doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It just it felt so natural in the moment. I was like, yeah, I feel it. <laughs> She said, let me take my earrings off, read you to filth in your own car. And I loved it. it and so then good. he once again has to ask the driver's name. And Trash. But you know what? I think that was his subtle way of trying to make amends in that moment of, I'm going to actually use the driver's name. Like, let me ask you. And he like, as polite as Perrin could, asked to use the expressway. I absolutely disagree with you on that statement. You just forgot. <laughs> See, I don't he know. totally in forgot that, again. <laughs> in that moment, I, I feel like he did ask, though. He could have just been like, hey, Driver. take the expressway. Yeah, he could have said I right. think I mean, after these... she burned him about like, hey, it's so embarrassing. You don't even know what I'm up to. And yeah, I didn't think you'd want to talk about charity. He's like, okay, let me do like the bare minimum to show my wife that I'm not a piece of shit. But then but, like, he has Perry, to ask so- again. What is I mean, these two just have such great, it's amazing, like, Cersei Lannister, Robert Baratheon energy between the two of them. And their chemistry oh, is one really good. Rounds. It is oh really good chemistry. Even though they're, like, obviously hating each other, it's still really good. <laughs> yes. I feel like Perrin wasn't such a piece of shit, but then, like, when the Empire came around, he was like, well, I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is fine. It's just the same as when we were with the Republic. (laughs) No, it's not a big deal. And then meanwhile, Mon Mothma's like, oh, shit. Why is this arranged? Back on Aldani, though, the rebels get up to the hills above the base, and they light a fire and signal Gorn, who's waiting for their signal. And so they know Mm -hmm. plan's going ahead. Uh, That night, though, Skeen comes over to tell Cassian that the Empire is responsible for his brother's death. Um... A prefect came in, took his farm, flooded the land, destroying the pepper trees. And uh, Skeen's brother just, he couldn't take it. And he got out on a boat and filled his pockets with stones. And Mm -hmm. that's where Skeen leaves it. And Mm -hmm. it is a heart-wrenching scene. 
Like that one really, I, I felt horrible when he was talking about it because he, Skeen's talking about how he hated the empire before this, but afterwards he didn't even know what to feel. And yeah, you could, you could really in that moment feel like how personal this was, like how much this meant to him. It's a very cold, mm -hmm. cold simmering rage. Yeah. Like it was intimidating. And he Mm -hmm. says, that's as much of an apology as you're going to get from me. And he makes it very short. Yes. He makes it yeah. very short. It's yeah. four or five sentences tops. Mm-hmm. And I love that Cassian's just like, you can tell he understands. He's yeah. like, yeah, that's as much I as get I need. It. Like, yep, yep. I get it. And they and needed like that the from punch. each other. They needed it. Yeah. It humanized them because now Skeen fully knows what's going on. He's like, all right, you're getting paid. I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. And Cassian understands why this is so important to him. And I, I like there's that little moment of connection where Cassian asked him what kind of farm it was. The peppers. Like it yeah. shows that he had that moment of like, like I'm actually paying attention to what you're saying. Yes. Um, and it makes more sense that Skeen is kind of looking after Nemec, kind of like a brother, yeah. older brother would look after a younger brother, mm-hmm. which is going to be really sad next episode when one of them <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm going to save it for the predictions, but I've got one brewing in the back of my head. Oh, no. All right. All right. Uh, Vel and Senta, they head out. They've got their own secret mission going on. Mm-hmm. So we'll figure out what's going on. No time for goodbyes. They've got plenty of work to do the next day. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end of the episode, Luthen is sitting in the back of his shop and he's listening on a transmission, just hoping to get any notification from the mi- from the mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, he's not getting anything through. His assistant, Clea, comes in, tells him, switch it off. You were going to do that an hour ago. Like, come on, man. Either they're going to win or they're going to fail. But there's nothing you can do from here. Uh, Luthen then confides that he's just, he's worried. And it's something that Clea does not like seeing from him. Like, it's not something she sees often, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And uh, he mentions, like, hey, we have more of a loose end than just Vel. Like, Cassian maybe is a loose end as well. There's nothing they can do, though. So they close up shop, and that's where we leave the episode. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, that, that final scene was so good. Oh, so this episode, I'm telling you. Okay, we're going to head oh. into our overall reactions of the episode. You can already tell that we're all kind of like, oh. <laughs> we've got the shivers. Like, this episode gave us the shivers. This was definitely a set-building episode, which I'm fine with, because... The whole situation with Andor is that a lot of it is there's 12 episodes and we think that it is cut up into three episode chunks or arcs, which you should watch it in, which Disney maybe should have released it in, but that's neither here nor there. We get what we get. This is a middle episode of a three episode arc. Like this is completely valid for a mid episode. I really loved how much we learned about the characters and their motivations in this episode. Everyone in the main cast got a scene that moved their plot forward and gave the viewer kind of a better understanding of their character and what is motivating them. Even Cassian, like he's hiding everything, but you still kind of get where he's coming from. We still don't know everything about the rebel characters, but I do like that they're engaging. I'm invested in them. I know some viewers aren't, they don't care. And it's like, well, it's hard to, care necessarily when you're used to getting book of boba fett or it's boba fett and other characters you know or it is obi-wan where it's obi-wan 
and Darth Vader, characters you're very familiar with. So these are ones that we have to get to know. And I'm just very glad that we have this episode that can make them engaging, make us invest in them. Love, love seeing Mon Mothma's family dynamic. Holy shit, how fucking awful was this scene? We've, I think everyone has had this kind of talk with their parents, especially when they were a teenager, where you're like, fuck you. But in a much more veiled way, like you're, you're sitting there with your parent. Me, I mean, I'm a daughter with my mom. And I've definitely had preteen moments where I was like, I hate you. But I didn't say I hate you. I said much more terrible things than that. (laughs) But that is a very mother-daughter situation, (laughs) which I very much understood here with mom and Lita was so great. I do like that they also showed that her husband and daughter seem to be aligned against her. Like, there's mm-hmm. always a choice, especially if you're an only child, like, you're going to choose a parent. Let's be fair. I don't, or I don't think any of us are only children, right? No, we're not. I know. You're the, you're the oldest, I'm the right? oldest. I'm, I'm the youngest. The oldest. Yeah. yeah, the babies always get the fucking, whatever they yeah, I never had one of those moments with my parents, and part of it was I learned from my rebellious middle brother <laughs> and i was okay. just like i Same can here. sit i can sit back and ride the coattails yeah. and yep. i'll get away with anything <laughs> that is what my brother also learned <laughs> because he was the baby the baby can get away with it i do like this whole aspect of how her family thinks she's fake and yet mon mothma is one of the most real characters she does have to hide behind this kind of veil because of the empire but then when she's able to cut loose when the rebellion starts, she still kind of hides and Saw Gerrera calls her out on this in Rebels. But she is fiery. Like she has this will to stick through it. And she does become like the new Republic Chancellor. She is the face of the rebellion. And I just really hope that her daughter and husband are alive to see it. I, really, yeah. I, I mean, I can see it for her daughter. We'll probably be still alive. I think Perrin might die. Which is like, we'll get into this in predictions. (laughs) Yes, I really hope her daughter is still alive when this happens. Um, Also, Aldani. It's so haunting. It is so beautiful. It's the Highlands. It's very Scottish looking. And it's just stunning. It's so beautiful there. You get a sense why people live there, why they would fight for it, why Gorn would want to fight for it, even though he's not from there. He just loved someone who was from there. And just knowing that the empire plans to take this beautiful landscape and level it for their own uses reminds me a lot of Cassian's home planet. He comes from a world that was lush and beautiful and then was destroyed by both the new Republic and then the empire or by the separatists and then the empire, which I think he attaches to this land, which is really nice to see too, because we don't, get that a lot in star wars we don't get attachment to planets and places even though we've been there five million times tatooine (laughs) i'm just saying this episode it it threw me through a little bit of a loop because i kept expecting us to actually start the heist and i was like Mm -hmm. all right we got like 15 20 minutes left we're gonna start the heist and then we'll end on like some kind of a cliffhanger where like he's like you know someone's trying to break the security thing and the stormtroopers behind them being like freeze and then we'll that'll be the end of it no no, more crunch berries (laughs) it just the show keeps surprising me with how it's willing to just 
take its time, still move forward. Mm-hmm. But just let things actually naturally unfold yeah, like, without having to barrel forward with this plot or this character development. Mm-hmm. A signal, or not a signal, but I guess a side effect of doing 12 episodes here instead of trying to do six. everything that they're going to do in six or even mm-hmm. eight. Yeah. Being able to do this. I mean, Tony Gilroy's talked about he, how he's very married to the, I think it's like 128 page scripts. Yeah thing which is your standard like two hour movie. movie yeah two hour it's movie. your standard movie <laughs> script and so he that's how he structured these arcs and it's amazing it's incredible the tension is so palpable throughout this episode we get to focus mm-hmm. on scheme and nemic so we have a better sense of these rebels of everything that happens before we actually go into this well i'm assuming again will be another action set piece yeah yeah and God, just the comedy, the dynamic between Cyril and his mother is so freaking funny. I was oh dying. my God. I was like, dying. I had you have even bit... a single prospect before you. <laughs> yeah. I had just Damn. like a little Mom. bit of sympathy for him. His face the entire time was like, I hate my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I also, I mean, I loved the one scene we got with Dedra. Mm-hmm. She's popping those pills to kind of stems, uh, probably. She's popping those Base stems Adderall, to do it. I was yeah. absolutely taken back to Starbuck on Battlestar Galactica when she yes. gets addicted to the stems, trying mm-hmm. to stay one one step ahead of the Cylons. And then comically, I was taken back to <laughs> Jesse Spano on Safe by the Bell. I want Dedra to start being like, "I'm so excited! I'm so scared!" <laughs> Mm-hmm. When she finally mm-hmm. cracks, because I have a feeling she will eventually crack. <laughs> yes, I think she oh, yeah. will too. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'll be great. I uh, I'm loving this slower pace right now, guys. It's a slow burn, slow burn. Yeah, like instead of just let's rush right to the heist, and you guys don't really know these characters, and you don't have much attachment to them. No, no let's sit here and let you learn about these characters actually like sit with them marinate in this uh in this group and you mm-hmm. really see what they're about like they they aren't just you know red shirts who are ready yeah. for slaughter now i actually care about nemec like you can tell that this kid like he's a he, baby yeah he's oh my god we're talking about this one uh charts like navigation this one charts political truth both aiming for the same direction it was just like you really felt him as a character yes. and Skeen when he's holding that like I need to know who I'm riding with you could tell like he was paranoid he was scared like you mm-hmm. felt these characters emotions mm-hmm. and I am fine with not starting the heist this week if it meant we got to learn about these people we got to really understand them I don't just care about Cassian now like I care about this rebel group and I think that's improving like my view of it going into the heist because now this heist is even more high stakes considering that I'm not like I already know Cassian's going to survive but now I truly care about the people he's with and we have no idea what's happening there Mm -hmm. Um, even like they're getting me more interested in the characters I still hate like I still don't like Cyril Karn because he's a dweeb (laughs) But like him sitting there Such just being roasted by his mom. Oh, like, oh harsh. God, man. Like, so bad. <laughs> like, oh, just go back to your room, buddy. Close the door. Like, and then Deidre too, like her and her assistant having that conversation about, 
you know what? No, this is how I would do this if I was a rebel. I'm not crazy. I shouldn't be rooting for an ISB officer, but here I am like, you can do it. You're on the right path. I know you can figure it out. And then I'm like, no, 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 you're ISB, shit. But like, they're really doing a good job at making me care about all of these characters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just love like tense conversations in in dark rooms. Like, yes. oh, I yeah. could- The mm-hmm. actual spy thriller part. Yes, that is amazing. Like it- it feels real, lived in the universe. Mm-hmm. It's not just, hey, look at us, Star Wars, pew, 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 pew. Like, no, right. this is things going on in the universe. Yes. And it really, it feels real. And the writing is just on another tier in this series. They're not holding our hands. They are treating you like adults in this show. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I get and they're that, not they, resting. They're not resting on another yeah. series like the only thing we have for casting is Rogue One and that's exactly five years in the future and we could technically be like well it's happening concurrently with Rebels but that's in an entirely different part of this galaxy yeah and Tony Gilroy is admittedly not that big of a Star Wars fan so I think he just wants to do his own thing Mm -hmm. which I'm all for he's just focused on telling a good story yes he wants to just tell a good story and it happens to be in Star Wars right and we're just going to say this, but if you're a spy and you get caught up in a lot of shootouts and things, you're not a good spy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but you are not. A spy is supposed to be secret and not found out. So there shouldn't be epic shootout slash scenes every single episode. There just should not. Cassian is supposed to be a fulcrum. A fulcrum is supposed to be secret. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like this idea of the the arc structure and now i understand that you know maybe it would be better to release them in three episode chunks because then people can see the whole arc but it is i'm fine with it weekly tv releases were the norm for the longest time mm-hmm. I, I think it's fine we can sit we can marinate with the episode you can re-watch it and really make sure that you've soaked it in and then you can talk about it uh, during the week with nerds like us. And then you watch the episode, uh, the next one when it comes out on Wednesday. Bada bing, bada boom, let's go. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not a big deal, guys. And I'm if it's really that. that big of a deal, you just wait until the, like, the series is over. Yeah. Or the season, yeah. And then you binge it. Yeah. But I'm never a fan of that. I like I like the weekly release schedule. Yeah, yeah I'm with you on that. I mean, we were going to talk about this, I think, a little bit more later. But let's just do it now. Like, Might as well. <laughs> might as well. We're, we're already pretty much into it. I, I'm 100% with you on that, Daniel. I'm loving the week to week. I'm loving yeah. these mini arcs. It's a little bit different because I feel like most times, at least in Star Wars, when we've gotten arcs, arcs like this, they're the animated series. So they're like yeah. 22 minutes at a time, whereas these are closer to your 40, 45 minutes each. So we're getting mm-hmm. so much more along with this. And we're building tension, but we have the time to sit with it. We have the time to reflect on it. And then we get to move into the next one. And I'm absolutely loving it. If they were to do like a drop where everything was dropping like the first three, I'd almost say then they should have just edited it down into four movies. Yeah. And release those weekly. Yeah. But I love the time that they're taking. I love that everything about the way that they are releasing this. You know, I'm this probably is. I'm not willing to say it's better than Mandalorian just yet because I think the Mandalorian strikes an incredible balance with 
the nostalgia factor plus a lot of the stuff that this show is doing especially the first season of especially season one yeah that might be top tier um current star wars and i mean i don't even want to say it as a knock to to obi-wan and book of boba fett because there were i mean we talked about there's so many things to enjoy about -hmm. those shows but those shows were very much just they sit back and enjoy the ride they this were much one makes more you reliant. like sit forward and kind of wait. Yeah, they were much more reliant on the nostalgia factor, which mm-hmm. don't have That's ultimately fine. a problem with. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And I liked watching them for that. <laughs> but mm-hmm. this is taking things in another direction, which is just, it's a little bit fresher. It's a little bit different. And I, I think, think this is we what really appreciate we hoped. That. We hoped Book of Boba Fett would do this. We hoped it would be the criminal underworld show and it was not it was more of like an origin story show which is fine but we were really hoping that it would be the criminal underworld show and this sold itself as a spy thriller and that is what it is and I'm very happy that that is what it is yeah now I now I want Tony Gilroy to make a show about Uncle Harlow and have that be the criminal underworld (laughs) yeah because you know Uncle Harlow has got some shit going on If Uncle Harlow is not played by Al Pacino and like it's just been a secret this whole time, then what are we doing? Yes, completely. <laughs> All right. Now that we've gotten that off our chest, let's move into our next bit here. We got our homages, Easter eggs, connections, and callbacks, because there are several mm-hmm. here to dig into. Mm-hmm. And let's start with that title. So the title is The Axe Forgets. This comes from an African proverb. The full is The Axe Forgets, The Tree Remembers. And it just is this haunting title for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, the axe is the empire, while the trees are the people and the planets that the empire is hurting because they are driving straight through people, planets, environments, whole systems without caring about the damage they do along the way. Mm-hmm. But this is how the rebellion grows because the trees remember those scars. Every single blow of the axe gets mm-hmm. ingrained. Everyone that the Empire hurts could potentially become their enemy. And when those enemies start to gather together and share their stories, a strong foundation of shared pain is built. And that is how rebellions grow. Mm -hmm. The Empire ultimately will be responsible for its own downfall. I loved it. I saw this title and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, symbolism. (laughs) (laughs) y'all i am an english major i fucking love symbolism (laughs) i I saw this next Mm -hmm. on to more literary criticism we have lita who is mon mothma's daughter her name is one letter away from leia (laughs) which is interesting in and of its own right so i heard this name and i was like lita okay from greek mythology the chick that got seduced by zeus when he was swan like, is that what we're going for here? Was hey, do not hate. All right, don't kink shame anybody. <laughs> well, I mean, no kink shaming, but also he was a swan. I mean, at least it's better than a golden shower. <laughs> and then somehow she managed to lay I, eggs. I'm fine with kink shaming uh, swan sex. <laughs> I mean, also Queen Leda, she was a queen from Greek mythology. She did lay eggs after her coupling. We're going to go coupling for our House of the Dragon fans, coupling with the swan who was Zeus. And Leda is actually the mother of Helen of Troy, 
who may have caused a few issues back in the day, Clytemnestra, and then the twins Castor and Pollock, not from Face Off, just from Greek mythology. <laughs> Leda also appears in Legends, but this is her canon debut. So then we've got uh, Skeen's tattoos. So in that scene when he's going over Cassian's weapons, uh, Skeen notices that Cassian is clocking those tattoos. Like he actually understands what they are. Mm -hmm. So the most prominent one on Skeen's chest, it looks like it's a barcode with a hexagonal shape on top. And there's some Arabesh letters uh, for K and H. Uh, So that one refers to crate head. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it, could be a prison barcode and we know the crate dragon is a beast that we've seen on tatooine so maybe it's like a modified prison barcode crate dragon could be or crate head could be a gang or something uh the other tattoo is like a strange hand-like symbol which cassian calls by the hand i that symbol looks oddly familiar like it looked like something that i've seen before but in another property and I'm going to mm-hmm. have to figure out what that was, but it looks so familiar. There's like um, Hand of Thrawn stuff too, that it could be. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, so that was, that was cool. Like just from that conversation and then um, Cassian talking about being in SIPO youth camp when he was a kid, you like, they really figured out like, hmm, they built a lot of cages, huh? Like we've, I love how they didn't necessarily just flat out say I was in prison. Like, no, it's like, you no. just, they had the conversation and you're like, I see what's happening. We don't need to have it explicitly said. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's those moments where they treat us like adults. And uh, so there were some fans that pointed out this hand reference could be a reference to Mara Jade, the Legends canon character who acted as the Emperor's hand. Everyone wants Mara Jade to show up. And I guess, I guess I don't think she's showing up. I don't don't think think she is either. No. But I mean, not in this, especially. Ginger badass. I yeah, love maybe her. on the next maybe her. on the next season of Visions. That would be amazing <laughs> oh, that would if be she cool. should have been Visions, <laughs> or if she like was mentioned in the Ahsoka series because they're chasing Thrawn. That would be interesting. <laughs> I would be all for it. Please bring in Mara Jade. She is amazing. She makes Luke likable. Mm, that's huge. Next we have Nemec. He likes older things. He's into older shit. The nav unit that Nemec is showing Cassian is, quote, old and reliable, unquote. This is a reference to how the Empire manufactures things cheaply. Look at the Death Star, y'all. And their stuff easily breaks. Probably best summed up by the Lego Star Wars shipmaster Quarry, who (laughs) decries that, quote, imperial drunk, no craftsmanship whatsoever, end quote. Fair. Very fair. Fair. Quarry was absolutely on point with that one. I love Corey so much. I love Corey. All hail the B-Wing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have the Dre. These are the sheep-like creature on Aldani that they're taking care of. Their milk is apparently an acquired taste. Again, I think it's because it's actually white. It's not blue. But don't waste it, Cassian. These guys are modeled after the real-life Jacob sheep who have multiple horns. Mm-hmm. It's wild. They look so crazy. <laughs> And speaking of milk, once again, we have the blue milk. Most of us on Earth have to wait for the cereal to turn our milk blue. But for cereal, it just happens right out the gate. The classic Star Wars blue milk. (laughs) Okay, next we have Lieutenant Gorn. I don't know about you guys. The first time I heard this name, I was like, you mean the lizard guys from the Star Trek original series? (laughs) 
What a great homage. It's all about learning how to communicate. You have to learn how to talk to each other. That is true. I will confess not watch the original Star Trek, so I did not catch that. <gasps> I mean, reference. I haven't. I know. That's okay, Daniel. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> haven't watched all of it. I have seen the Gorn episode, and it is some wild, crazy. They like, were definitely is, high shit. <laughs> is that the one where uh, Kirk? Yeah. Thank you. My brain just broke. Uh, where Kirk fights the awful like lizard um, man. Lizard yeah. man in the yes. Yeah, that's what a an Gorn. amazing clip. Okay. So last week we get reference to the Rakatan invaders with the Kyber necklace, uh, but we also hear the name Kuwati. So it's a Kuwati signet, and mm-hmm. we know this planet. Uh, Kuat is from the core worlds. They're known for their shipbuilding, their industry, and they are unfortunately the place where the terrifying Imperial Star Destroyers come from. Whoopsies. So, yeah. <laughs> They're very you rich. Good in the bad with them. Very, very rich. This is like Corellia but richer basically yeah if Corellia didn't have like shitty streets yes exactly <laughs> Kuat Kuat is a little bit more like on the up and up than <laughs> Corellia is okay so next we have Dedra's very dedicated assistant notes that items have been stolen from the following places Hosnian, Kessel, Fondor, Jakku, Base K, and the Steerguard Naval Yard so some of these planets should be familiar. Hossian Prime is the eventual capital of the New Republic, which is destroyed by the First Order in The Force Awakens. Whoopsies. I am so sorry. <laughs> we hardly entire, knew you. Entire Hossian system is destroyed there. The Castle is famous for the spice production. And Fondor is it's another pain. shipbuilding planet. I mean, it's also famous for the Castle Run, which a ship may or may not have made <laughs> in 12 parsecs in 12 parsecs or less i mean we're not gonna go go there and then jakku of course is Ray's home in the sequel trilogy and the site of the final battle in the galactic civil war very cool read the books damn it steer is where cassian stole the star path from and then also on the castle front this excited us a whole lot. Like, we were very happy about this. What's happening right now on Kessel that they might be talking about? The ghost crew is liberating the Wookiee slaves in the Rebels mm-hmm. two-part pilot, Spark of the Rebellion. Yes. Yes, and Kanan is revealing himself as a Jedi. Kanan is, is yeah. throwing all caution to the wind, apparently, and being like, I have a lightsaber and I'm a Jedi. And Callus, who is an With ISB agent. sick lightsaber. Yes. Oh my god. So good. I need to rewatch Rebels. <laughs> I need to be heard again. Oh, everything to say. All right. Next up, uh, this one, it, it's definitely possible. In fact, likely, likely that this was not an intentional Easter egg from the jump, but it's mm-hmm. really fun and I have to mention it. So in an interview on the Watch podcast this past week, Ebon <laughs> Moss Backrack mentioned that his pistol is actually the same pistol that Greedo is pointing at Han in A New Hope when he gets shot. And he was like, oh, that's cool. And like, how did it, he just like offhandedly mentioned like, oh, how'd it get there? And the props and story people were like, you know what? We'll like, we'll invent a story and then it'll just become canon. And it, like, we'll find a way for it to be, go from you to Greedo. <laughs> Amazing. We, we could have just said it's the same model gun, but you know. No, but it's no, actually the same one. It's actually Greedo's pistol. <laughs> Which Wild. actually it's Skeen's pistol first. <laughs> yeah. And it will have no relevance on anything, but that's just like no. a really fun detail. 
<laughs> for anyone that uh, spotted them. Did you see those things that belong in a museum? Yeah. Uh, so some people spotted them last week. I was not able to. But on Luthen's shelves next to the holocrons, you can see two of the three Sankara stones from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I was the Leo pointing meme. Uh, <laughs> I felt pretty cool noticing those this week. When I was like five, six years old, we had a snow day in North Carolina. My mom sat me down. We watched all three Star Wars movies back to back. It was amazing. The next day, we watched Indiana Jones, the first one. I got my Harrison Ford life at a very young age. I mean, good. So moving into our next section here, we're going to talk about uh, getting a little bit more detail on each of the characters and some general discussion points. So let's start with our man Cassian. We kind of put him on the back burner last week, but this week we are definitely front and center focused mainly on him and his struggle to integrate into these rebels. He's really great at information gathering and observation, showing how he notices everyone's hand preference, but he really seems to lack in some people skills, at least in this context. I'm pretty sure based on, uh, based on his mom's observations, he's not actually lacking in the people skills when it comes to getting a date. Yeah, he's just frustrated right now. He doesn't want to be here. So yeah. it's like, he doesn't, yeah. <laughs> so, but he's still ready to learn. He's interested in how this group operates, but he's also very standoffish and very aloof to certain emotions running high in everybody else. Mm-hmm. Once he realizes how ready they really are or how not ready they actually are, mm-hmm. despite the snafu with this, the escape vehicle, he understands he understands their bond in the end, yeah. why they've all come together, what is driving them to this extreme and how they got here. He had a gamble, though, when he admitted mm-hmm. to them. He could have come up with a different story, but he admitted that he's only in it for the money. What do you guys think about that? Do we think it's I... just straight up the truth or is it just the most convenient thing for him to say in the situation? I think he was just I think he was putting just cards on the table at that moment. Um, I. I you could tell like if they went into that heist not trusting each other it was going to blow up in their face and he he knew i think in that moment that his best chance of survival is making sure they all knew exactly what this was yeah because like he says like i'll walk away right now if you want me to right but as long as we can work together i'm here yes i think by putting all his cards on the table like they don't have to like him but they could at least trust him and understand him in that moment. Right. I think that he was doesn't get paid unless yeah. they succeed. Yeah. Right. So he wants them to succeed so he can get paid. And I, I think he does have some sort of idealism going on, but not as high as it is later in his life right now, especially he's like stuck here and this is what I'm doing. And this is the best explanation and we'll have no questions. Like nobody's going to question him about it. I also want to talk about his kind of his dynamic with Skeen here, Mm. particularly with this standoff, because this is the only other part of the episode that kind of made me raise an eyebrow. Like Skeen's making some pretty big assumptions here. He gets the Kyber necklace and is like, oh, see, you definitely, you obviously like come from money. You have all these resources. Like why the fuck else would you have this? Mm -hmm. But what if that's some kind of like a family heirloom? I mean, Jen has one and she's in with sauce people for however many years. Like oh. he has no idea what this he has no idea what this would represent to Cassian on a personal mm-hmm. level. I mean, what if he had a necklace like that that he got from his brother? Like, would that make him a liar about his circumstances? Right. If he didn't 
like sell it off and be like, oh no, I obviously come from money. Like, no, it, it, it was one of the only times so in the much. episode that it kind of made me go, really? <laughs> I don't know so much that he's assuming that he's coming from money. He's just more of like, okay, you showed up here with nothing like except for your weapons and this insanely and this. worthwhile thing. Like, it's very strange that you show up to a robbery with something this personal, like, like this, something this important. Why would you even bring this out here? It's, it is strange. It is weird. Like, why would you have this on you? I, I can understand like Kyber is rare. It's not something you're going to find often. And he knows what it is. That's also really strange. Yeah. Someone showing up who won't tell you what he believes in. Who's just like, no, I'm just here to, to finish the fight and walk away. And Skeen's like, wouldn't that be nice? He knows that there's no walking away from this fight. Are you a Jedi? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, I guess it's that. I guess it's that. It's just like, it. okay, maybe not the fact that it's valuable, but it's just like the idea that it's mere presence automatically means that you're not who you say you are. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Because, really? Yes. Yeah. I think he's just afraid. I think Skeen he's paranoid is scared. He even he's mentions. paranoid. Yeah. He's afraid he mentions, for his like, found uh, family dying. Yeah. When they're when they're talking about Gorn and Cassian says, "Couldn't he be taking us out, like leading us into a trap?" Mm-hmm. And then and Skeen's like, "No, <laughs> no, but that could be you." Mm-hmm. Like he really does not, because Cassian won't open up. He won't say what he believes in. He won't say anything about like. He won't even say where he got the pistol from that he right. uh, took from the corpos. He could have yeah. said, I killed a corpo on my escape to get here. Yeah. He doesn't even offer that information. So I think it's not just that it's an expensive item. It's that it's an expensive item on a mysterious person who won't say anything about what he's doing. Mon uh, mm. Mothma and her family. Well, so much <laughs> to unpack there. So we can tell. Perrin and Lita, they seem to have a little bit of an alliance against her. Perrin doesn't back up Mon in any way. He's just sitting back, <laughs> sipping his tea and giving little shitty side-eye glances as that argument gets pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, it's restrained, but you can tell it's heated. Like, the emotion is simmering. Like, mm-hmm. it is all just under the surface, about to bubble over, but not quite. Yeah. And, uh, like, What's going on there? Does Lita feel abandoned by Mon Mothma? Like, I know she's probably Absolutely. very busy all the time. Um, and she's just hanging around Perrin, who's probably, you know, whispering some things in her ear that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Uh, Your yeah, mom's then, never home. Yeah. And when when Mon Mothma calls Lita out, I'm like, hey, this was kind of hurtful. Lita turns it back on her and it's like, oh, it's always about you, huh? Like, mm-hmm. it... It Once again, this is a thing a teenage daughter can do to her mother. <laughs> it, it made me feel bad because I'm like, yeah, she's a teenage girl and all that. But you can tell from like the way Perrin was acting. I think he's whispered a lot oh, of this yeah. into Lita's ear. Oh, absolutely. And like poison. Mon's not there to defend herself because she's trying to fucking help the galaxy. But her family doesn't know that. And no. I wonder... I, I, I think Perrin is very much going to be an imperial, like, I'm always going to defer, uh, defer to them type thing. Yeah. But I, I wonder how Lita's going to feel if she ever learns about what her mom's doing. 
Yeah, because, I mean, Lita's feelings are not invalid. She does no. probably very much feel that her mom is basically abandoned her and let, it, yeah. let her down because Mon is always working and that is something yeah. worth unpacking. And Mon yeah. is by far not a perfect mom, not a perfect woman. It's something that seeing this gives us a better sense of everything she has, in fact, sacrificed yes. to do everything that she's done. And we can see that. But right there on the front lines, like I'm yeah. sure Lita can't because Mon can't open up to her about all the actual like underground stuff that she's doing. All she yeah. has is imperial propaganda and Perrin, who is very likely just parroting the same propaganda to her. Right. Exactly. Well, and it's, it's like Brea and Bail Organa. Like how much can they tell Leia? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Leia with Ben. But at the same time, how much like can she tell Brea- him? and Bale are a united front. Yes. Yes. Or Perrin and, so, and Mon are not. Yeah. 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 So even if they kind of aren't explicitly saying things to young Leia, they can instill, they know that they're they're working together to instill common yes. morals. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah, it feels like Lita is a bit of a battleground between Mon and oh. Perrin right now. And it's so ugly. Yeah. Like just yeah. just like the family war kind of situation. Mm-hmm. is really hard to watch but it's so realistic this yeah. is like one of the most realistic relationships family-wise i think we've seen like mother father daughter like actual family mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah this is your blood family mm-hmm. and mon is not not doing so great here <laughs> speaking of family <laughs> i mean let's be real though mon is still killing it on the fashion front Yes, oh. Mon Mothma and her Nora Ephron house are slaying. <laughs> okay, pivoting to another mother-slash-child situation. <laughs> Cyril Karn and his mother. Wow. Holy shit. So, are they Druish? She doesn't look Druish. <laughs> doesn't look Druish. <laughs> okay, it does seem like the Karn family has some sort of underworld connection. Like, Uncle Harlow is not a blood relation. Let's face it. He's not because Cyril is like, why would he know you? Or why would he remember you to his mother? And you would think that his mother's blood relation would know her or even like her husband's brother would know her. Or is he saying that they've been estranged for so long that Mm. like they haven't talked that like... Or is Harlow actually Cyril's father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate? (laughs) (laughs) Which makes us absolutely absolutely nothing. nothing. (laughs) But she can still call in the family favor. You can still call call in the family favor. favor. This is just really interesting to see. I love shit like this that delves into a toxic relationship between a mother and a child. Cyril's mother, Edie, she's a really interesting character. She's a great foil for Mon Mothma's mothering techniques in this episode. Great, like, mother versus mother here. She is super overbearing. She's what Lita thinks Mon is as a mom. Yes, exactly. She (laughs) is definitely this. She's overbearing. She's relentless. She's ambitious. She wants her son to be this leader and stand tall and be proud in whatever job he gets. And she's like, why are you slouching? Like a leader does as well slouch? wear a sign that says, I will always disappoint you. Exactly. <laughs> she says it's so happy. <laughs> like, like 
damn, oh mom. God. I'm just trying to eat my fucking cereal. It's Shit. so bad. It's so bad. She basically proves that no matter how old he gets, she will never acknowledge that he has the ability to do shit by himself. Like she pours his huh? milk and pours his cereal, tries to get him to eat, shoves the fruit basket over to him. And it's just like, I'm going to take over your job search though, because you're doing a shit job. We don't even, we're like, yeah, no wonder you didn't want to go home, Cyril. We feel yeah. for you in this situation. <laughs> but then he's also annoyed that she never came to visit him even though he had a spare room and was like, you can come whenever you want at Morlana one. And she's like, an open invitation isn't an invitation. That is some, like the phone works on both ends kind of talk where it's reductive and doesn't get you anywhere. But also like, I agree with him. I wouldn't have wanted to invite her out there anyway. No. To Morlana one. No, (laughs) that's a terrible place. I don't know. Maybe he could have no, taken her to, to the... invite her over. Like I'm not inviting her into my space. Maybe he could have taken her to the leisure district, and she could have cut loose for a little bit. <laughs> I need to let mom loose and like Aussie the what is it the thunder from down under section <laughs> <laughs> in the leisure district. <laughs> Just wow, this entire relationship. I was like, so we've seen a lot of bad parents in Star Wars, at least. His mom is present and interested in what he's doing, but also doing it in the most smothering, awful way possible. <laughs> what are the odds that Cyril snaps? Her neck? Very high. Like, yeah, his face was giving like American Psycho. Like he was not. Where's his dad? He's not <laughs> healthy. Where is his dad? He obviously like left and pretended he was dead, right? Is that what we're possibly? I'm, I'm gonna go out and get some death. That was his favor from Uncle Harlow. Get me out yes. of this marriage. <laughs> he went for cigarettes and he never came back. Like he went for he went for death sticks and blue death milk sticks. and never came. Back. Never Aww. ever came back. <laughs> Next oh up, I mean, we talked about skiing some, but we learn about the rebel group as a whole and a lot of the characters here. Uh, mm-hmm. mostly Skeen and Nemec. These two characters couldn't be more different from each other. Mm-hmm. Skeen is a true believer. He's got this manifesto. He's writing about the evils of the Empire. He's very idealistic. He's super energetic. And he's excited that he's in this to make a difference. Poor baby Nemec. He's just oh, a baby. God. <laughs> it, this is just... It, it. He is a baby. And if there was like a checkoffs, like checklist of items that will get you killed, it is his idealism is top of the yeah. list. Yeah. Skeen, though, is there for very different reasons. He's very careful. He's very suspicious. He's fueled by a simmering personal grudge. Mm-hmm. And he's searching for this revenge against a callous government who took his brother's land forcing him to commit suicide. It's not even that like, oh, my brother stood up and they gunned him down. Right. They they defeated him. Yeah, they just took everything from him. They took everything from him. Indifference. Indifference is usually the worst. Yeah. Uh And these glimpses into these rebels' lives, it makes us root for for them. Mm -hmm. I want to take a moment and talk about Nemec's ideas here. Like, what do Mm -hmm. we think about his comments about the whole pace of oppression, how the Empire is erasing ideas, kind of like they erase the Jedi, but they erase these ideas like freedom faster than you can kind of produce the materials. You know, Mm -hmm. the Empire is out there banning books and doing all sorts of other things. Yeah, and I mean, this does, I know... I know we don't want to make this comparison and it's because in the other example, it is not done well in any shape or form, but the concept is there 
in that final season of Game of Thrones, where the importance of story, and if you want to erase the people, first you erase their history. Yes. You go for, that's kind of the jugular that you start with. Yep. That's how the Jedi are erased and how we go to the original trilogy and people don't know. Like they kind of have a, maybe a legend, but there were only 10,000 of them in a universe of like trillions upon trillions of people. Yeah. So yeah, it could be on these planets. Nobody knows. And then the government basically squashes any information about them. Mm -hmm. Also, I like how he brought up even just like simple stuff like navigation. Yeah. Like you are reliant on imperial navigation technology. He's like, but this like analog thing, as long as you know how to use it, you're free. You can get yourself around wherever. It's like Like, even just simple technology stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's it it resonated with me. I thought that was yes. a really well done conversation. And it he's really so was. smart. Nemec is yeah. very intelligent. Yes, he's idealistic, but he also has the tools to break free, yeah. which is why he will probably die. I'm sorry, Anders, <laughs> but he's probably going to die because he's the bright, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, yay boy about the rebellion. <laughs> Unless it turns out he's a secret Jedi. I, no. I don't think we're getting any the eye roll I when series. I said that I, I, I hope we're not getting any I love no. the Jedi oh, I God, really no. don't I hope see Ez, show like, Ezra and Kanan are already active so yeah. we do have Jedi active at this time it's just not where we are in this setting <laughs> we also learn about Lieutenant Gorn here he was in love mm-hmm. with this local woman mm-hmm. who was eventually killed by the Empire heartbroken he turns on the Empire and starts working with Vel again this personal connection this is what mm-hmm. flips people either way we'd love to see a little bit more of that story I think we'd yeah. love to see how those two met or had him mm-hmm. talking about her and his manipulation of these two guys in the shipyard is just like next level so good yeah. even he the does portal. such a great He's absolutely covering his own ass, but he's getting them to do exactly what he wants them to do. Mm -hmm. They just don't know it. It's it's really great. And then we find out that Vel and Cinta are a couple and it's great to see. (laughs) It's so good. I love it so much. When they all turn to Cinta, like, did you know? And she's like, she didn't nope. tell me. And I was like, oh (laughs) shit. Someone's in in trouble. trouble. (laughs) I like that though. Like they're it may be a little more subtle than we would like but they are tiptoeing very carefully toward a little bit more inclusivity when it comes to sexual orientation. <laughs> the, I, as, as the resident gay of the podcast, I, uh, <laughs> I kind of enjoyed how they just like, it wasn't overt. But God, I'm going to, I'm going to sound bad saying this. It wasn't in your face. It was just kind of like a, Hey, they're already sharing it. Like Santa's already sharing a blanket with someone. And then you immediately yeah. see them coming out of the same Yep. like bed chamber area and they're both wearing blankets and you're like yep. okay like, it very much like <laughs> they didn't tell you straight up they're a couple they just trusted you to infer from like yeah. cassian spitting game at the fire like trying to like flirt with senta and vel just walks in she's like keep your mind on like come on yeah and keep your mind straight and then they all do the toast just like I absolutely not like, <laughs> there it's like it wasn't just like hey it yep. was hey this is just like them how they realistically be like no no they're yes. together and it's yep. just it not normal. treated like it's a big it deal it was a normal thing yeah i um <laughs> i felt like they had a good balance in that and yes. how they did it 
Good job, Dan Gilroy, um, writing that in there. And then Susanna White for directing it. Amazing. So we also, we don't get much from Luthen in this episode, but we do see a little bit of a new side of his character. He's always been kind of stern, commanding, in charge. And now we see him nervous. Mm. Like He's hovering over the radio. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And it's his assistant who's coming in and trying to calm him down. Yeah. Um, which way to go, Clea? Assistant in the shop. She very much seems like a partner in this uh, rebellion cell. Yeah, I mean, she's talking him through it. I yeah. think. I think that there's some speculation if she's like his daughter or girlfriend, like that, or girlfriend or something. Like people aren't really sure what the nature of this relationship at least started as. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's definitely. I, she knows him. Like she yeah. knows him. I think from the way he was concerned and like, do you, have you checked your packs and everything like that? It feels kind of fatherly. Mm-hmm. If not like explicit father, daughter, maybe like family friend that he like took in or something. Like it feels like he has been watching out for her and in turn knows that he can rely on her now that yeah. she's like an adult on his level. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I just, um, I really like that scene between them. Like you could tell that he trusts her. He he listened to what she said and didn't just blow her off. He's like, "All right, you're right. Like there yeah. there is nothing I can do." He put the radio away and he's he listened. I like seeing how they interacted with each other, and I, mm-hmm. it made me want more of Clea because we're already invested in Luthen. If you're mm-hmm. me, at least I'm invested in Luthen. Yes. I think he's so cool. And Clea was really neat last episode. Like. <laughs> She's in the game with him. She knows how to play it. Yes. And so, like, seeing how competent and confident she is, I want more. Mm-hmm. She's like his caretaker. And I'm very, yeah. very into that idea. Like, he shows he so it. many different faces to so many different people, but his real face he shows to Clea. Yeah. Which is fantastic. I I just love what Stellan Starsgard is doing in this one scene holy Mm -hmm. shit like he is conveying so much in this one scene he barely speaks like she's yelling at him and he's like oh my god i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) colleen who else might not know what she's doing (laughs) Uh, dedra dedra has no fucking idea what she's doing we also get a short scene with our little isb agent we do love her too But we do see that she's earned loyalty from her assistant, which is important. I think she has this natural leadership ability that may not be apparent to some people. But like Thrawn, she has a subordinate who is willing to stay after hours, not clocked in, not getting paid, sitting here going through files, trying to make connections about this nascent rebellion like, he really believes in her. He's like, your gut feeling, I am here for it. I think this rebellion is actually growing. They're building a network. And he's like, yeah, that's how I do it. I do it slow. I'd spread it out so it looks random. It's like, oh, no, there are some competent people in the Empire. <laughs> Shit. Oh, I hate to stand for an ISB agent. I know. But we love a queen who mm-hmm. provides like healthy work environment where she goes oh my god look at the time go Go home home." like she encourages loyalty in her employees she provides a good working environment Mm -hmm. and you know what maybe i might apply for a job there they probably have good benefits (laughs) 
one of the things I liked about her, and I, I could just be totally reading into this. I don't know, but mm-hmm. she, I mean, because they said last episode, he's like, we brought you in because you're because you're a doer. Yes. Like you're used to kind of being a doer. And so she's mm-hmm. like, she's not used to going through this amount of paperwork. And she seems right. like uncomfortable in her uniform. She's like pulling at her collar. She's like, pull- yeah, I just want to like get out there and like be proactive and do something. But I have mm-hmm. to like follow this protocol. I have yes. to follow this paper trail. And it's just not how she's used to yeah. doing things. Yeah, she wants she's to like, she's get much shit more of a done. field agent. Yeah. yeah. She should be a field agent. She should be yeah. like what Callus is doing. Exactly. Basically. And then she's taking stims, like <laughs> space Adderall. Let's go. Yeah, not the best idea, maybe, from where you're standing, but I do like how she's inspiring loyalty from people who are her subordinates because in the Empire, that is a very, very rare. Uh-huh. It's her they and mostly, Thrawn, that's about it. Yeah, her and Thrawn, yeah. pretty much everyone usually hates the people they are working under. She's not or just using them as, as a step on a ladder. She's like, exactly. no, no, like, let's work together. Collaboration. Dedra is still in that space where she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And she feels comfortable enough talking to her assistant about that. And I love that. She's killing it. And I just cannot wait for her and Cyril to cross paths. Yes. I hate that I'm rooting for her so much that like <laughs> well Daniel, let's be real. it's because you want her to cross paths with Cyril and then ultimately betray and kill him. Yes. Well, I do want Cyril to be emasculated and shown how <laughs> shitty of an inspector he like you thought you were a good one? No, no. This is what a real professional looks like, you absolute dweeb. <laughs> All right, guys. So We'll see if maybe they cross paths next week. I don't know, but let's take that as a segue. <laughs> Very poor segue on my part. <laughs> so we get into our questions and predictions. <laughs> I mean, it fits in with mine. Mine is, is Uncle Harlow going to pull through on a job for Cyril? And I think he's going to suggest the ISB. I think he is. I don't know how connected this guy is, but... I mean, Cyril has to cross paths with Dedra. That is kind of like a narrative that we need. Cyril has this kind of peak Javert moment where he's looking at Cassian's hollow and he's like, I haven't forgotten you, prisoner 24601. I am Javert. Like, for real. He has got an obsession going. Like, he has to do something besides sit at his mom's apartment and eat cereal. For real. (laughs) He needs to get back in the game. And then I think the heist is going to work, but I don't think everyone is going to survive. However, I really, not a chance now. I really want to see the manifesto get out there though, even if it is unfinished and imperfect. If it goes out with Ezra's podcast, little message that goes out in Rebels, I think that would be kind of a cool bookend to have these two manifestos going out to different parts of the galaxy. And then I really want to see in the future what happens to Mon Mothma's family. I really want to know what happens when she flees the Senate. Like, are Perrin and Lita already gone? Has she already made sure that they're like back on Chandrilla or somewhere else safe? Because there's no way she could flee and still be safe if they were in Imperial hands. All they would have to do is threaten her daughter and she'd come back. 
Yeah, so my theory on that front is that Perrin will 100% try and sell her out to save his own skin. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. he will, like, try and prove his loyalty Mm. by trying to rat her out. And then Mm -hmm. he ends up either imprisoned anyway, or whether that's in an actual prison or as kind of like a... A guest. Yeah, you're a guest prisoner in your own house type deal. Mm -hmm. Or just straight up executed anyway for her actions. As for Lita... I mean, I, there could be a, an arc there for some sort of reconciliation between the two of them. Like if Perrin ends up like being the staunch Imperial, then Lita would be the, like the kind of redemptive understanding of what her mother's actually doing at some point. Mm-hmm. But we have had several books set in the future with Mon Mothma, both as a POV character and not, and Lita's never been mentioned. So I don't think it's looking good for her. No. <laughs> And that might be another thing that kind of drives her away if Lita is killed. Yeah. yeah. Or becomes like an Imperial officer or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be rough. Yeah. My other question kind of coming out of this, actually, Colleen, you just referred to this. At the end of the episode, Luthen's trying to see if any of these transmissions are coming through. Obviously, they don't. The Aldani rebels are radio silent. But mm-hmm. we've got this secret radio network. We've got the mention of Kessel here. And we've got mm-hmm. generally Mon Mothma's presence because she does bring up to Ezra's face his transmission and the impact that it has yeah will we actually get a chance to hear some of Ezra's broadcasts could we see characters on this show and see their reaction to that that would be a really cool kind of crossover where just the the content of that transmission you don't have to have watched Rebels to fully understand I mean right if you want the full context, yes, you have to watch all of Rebels watch season Rebels. one at least. <laughs> but you don't like you could just you could just take that as a rebel making a pirate transmission and get the gist mm-hmm. of the context. You could even have Luthen being like, "There was this transmission out of Lothal." Like, there's growing unrest. Right. You don't even have to use the transmission or say Ezra or say Ghost or Phoenix Squadron. You can just say there was a transmission out of Lothal. That's right. all you would have to say. Or, I mean, you could have uh, Taylor Gray as, like, another rebel somewhere, and he'd be like, yo, yeah, this transmission coming out of Lothal, the voice actor who plays Ezra. <laughs> anyway. Yes. I would be here for that. <laughs> anyway, I, I mean, that. yeah, that would be totally, like, a studio-made decision to do that, because I don't think Tony Gilroy, that's another thing, like, Tony Gilroy's not thinking on for, for that, which is totally yeah. fine. Yeah. And then, in terms of direct questions out of this episode, I mean, the heist is coming up next week. What's going to go wrong? We're all pretty sure a lot of people are going to die. I'm going to be staunch and say Nemec survives <laughs> just, to so be, you're going just to be, just to be defiant. <laughs> I'm going Skeen. I think Skeen and, and Cassian will survive. Cause we know Cassian survives. Like obviously he does. He's in Rogue One. We know he's going to live. His show is named after him and there's a season two. I think Skeen, because he's the most like in it for himself kind of situation I think it would be him who has like survivor's guilt afterward mm-hmm. being like, why am I the one who lives? Why didn't Nemec, who is the true believer, live? Because that's just narratively what usually happens. I would love true. if Nemec lived. I would love him to live. He's a sweet baby boy and he deserves to live. He's so cute. I don't think he's going to, but I want him to. Daniel, <laughs> how I, do you feel? I really hope Nemec lives. I'm on team Nemec is so dead. Um, <laughs> not enthusiastically. It's just no. what I think will happen. Um, my guess is he's going to die and Skeen's going to take his manifesto with him. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay. I, Colleen, I agree with you that I think, uh, well, obviously we know Andor will survive. I think Skeen will probably be the only other survivor. Um, and I, my guess is he's going to get the, the okay. manifesto out and he's going to make sure that like it gets published and all that. I specifically think we're going to see Gorn sacrifice himself mm. or like stand up to fellow Imperials. Like, I feel like something's going to go wrong and he's going to like make a stand because so you can tell someone like, can escape. Yeah. Like you, you, you can see in this episode how it's simmering under the surface, how much like he's grossed out by the way people are talking about Aldani and like the callousness mm-hmm. that they have when they refer to these native people. And I think it's eventually awful. like something's going to have to happen and he's going to have a confrontation with someone there. I think Perrin as well is going to end up uh, openly supporting the Empire against Mon Mothma in a way. This is not going to be fun. I think he's going to argue with her. I think he's going to try and persuade her to tow the company line. Yeah. And and say our daughter is at risk. When he well, when he if he ever finally finds out what she's doing, I wonder how he's going to take it. I do not think he will take it well. I don't think he's going to be worried so much about life as in like life life i think he's going to be worried about their material things oh absolutely because he seems like that's what he cares about more than like and he doesn't think they'd ever actually be hurt like they may be exiled but they would never actually be hurt i feel like things are going to blow up in his face because i don't think he fully understands the brutality of the empire whereas mon truly does understand what's going on Whew. okay I think that's it. Do you two have anything else we need to add? No. No. <laughs> okay. We've taken a pretty deep dive this episode, even though a lot we of people really might did. say that not a lot happens. It actually does. Character building is actually a very important part. This kind of episode is important to move the narrative forward from a character perspective. And I very much appreciate the writers for putting this kind of episode onto TV. All right. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at YASWpod. Follow us wherever you are getting your podcasts and hit that follow button. Leave a five-star review. It really does help us out there. Check out our previous episodes on the main Star Wars films and other Disney Plus shows. Check out all of the offerings in the Forgotten Entertainment family at ForgottenEntertainment.com. You can also find me and Anders and sometimes Daniel on Bohemian Geek Studies podcast. And then I also do some Star Wars book reviews on BohemianGeekStudies.com. Come and read them. Super fun. I do have a Thrawn reading list if you need it. And of course, join us next time when we'll be taking a very deep dive into the next episode of Andor. Until then, wow, always eat your crunch fairies. And if you have an Uncle Harlow, get him on the phone ASAP. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.